Pop Health Podcast is supported by 24-Hour Home Care. All episodes of Pop Health Podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pophealthpodcast.com. The next option, and these are things that sort of look like home care agencies, but they're really not. They're registries. They're also called DRAs, which are direct referral agencies. They're referred to in the California Code as employment agencies. It's all the same thing. Whatever you want to call it, registry, DRA, referral agency, employment agency, it doesn't matter. What they do is they find a caregiver for you and they place that caregiver with you. But you're the employer. And oftentimes the problem with this model is they don't tell you, even though they're required by law to make verbal and written disclosures to you and the caregiver, that the family is the employer. They don't do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Bob King, who's a leading attorney for in-home care for both private hiring and through home care agencies. Bob's worked with celebrities, private families, home care agencies, as well as not-for-profits that focus on senior care. In today's episode, Bob talks about some of the myths that come with hiring a caregiver and often the apples-to-apples comparison that people think should be made when hiring a caregiver privately or through a home care agency. We hope today's episode is helpful for you and gives you some great information on how to properly hire for in-home care. And if you do like today's episode, feel free to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also find us on Spotify and pophealthpodcast.com. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the show. So, Bob, tell us something about you that might surprise the audience. Well, Gavin, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on your show. I really do appreciate it. It's always nice to be back here with my friends from 24-Hour Home Care. Uh, You know, it's funny. We talked a little bit briefly before about this. I'm a travel guy. Yeah. And... Part of how I travel is I travel a lot for work, and I use those points and miles for personal travel. So I'm a big guy when it comes to points, miles, getting the absolute best deal I possibly can. I use a website called Google Flights, okay. and I highly recommend it if, if your, your listeners don't use it. But use Google Flights, and I will track a flight that I'm interested in, and I pride myself on getting the absolute lowest price for that flight using Google Flights. It's amazing. Nice. And what about uh, some of those travel blogs? Like the, there's one called the Points Guy. Right. So the Points Guy, one mile at a time, view from the wing. They're all excellent. They're a great way to learn about it. It costs nothing. You accumulate these points and you go on these amazing trips. Like I just, I'll give you an example. I am going with my family to Amsterdam uh, next month. And it's on points I because I use Google Flights to find the absolute cheapest flight from anywhere in the U.S. to anywhere in Europe. Yep. And Amsterdam came up. Okay. It happened to be out of JFK. So I'm using a positioning flight to get to JFK and then flying JFK to Amsterdam on points. I am so excited. Nice. Awesome, Bob. Well, yeah. for those of you that travel for work or leisure... I don't think you do that on a side business like that. But, uh, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> get to know that that, uh, that you're an expert there. I enjoy that stuff as well. My wife and I are celebrating our 10-year anniversary uh, this summer, and we're able to take a nice trip to Hawaii uh, at no cost um, through just a couple of years of accumulating points and, and working it. So uh, very good. The, the, one, the one thing I learned, and I'm sorry, but the one yeah. thing, I, and I'm serious about this, as you get older, it's not stuff, it's experiences. And yes. I got kids and... 
before they go rolling off to college, my my goal is to travel as much as possible because that's what they remember and that's what they like. Absolutely. Memories, yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, for those of you uh, who may be familiar with the show and have been listening for years, Bob's a returning guest. And Bob King is considered one of the leading uh, home care attorneys in California. I believe, do you serve other states as well, Bob? I do. I work nationwide on federal legal issues, and then I'm licensed to practice here in California on state law as well. Okay, cool. And if you're a new listener, one thing about Bob's and his organization that's interesting is even though most, not all, but most of his work is in uh, household employment on the home care side, most of it, but he actually does also a lot of work with nannies, and his company name is called Legally Nanny. Bob, can you share with the audience uh, how you got started just in a nutshell, and we'll go from there. Sure. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about with kids. 16 years ago, when my daughter was born, we wanted to hire a nanny, and we were determined to do it legally and make sure that we did all the taxes and complied with all the rules and regulations. I was a lawyer working for a big law firm, working with big clients, and nobody knew beans about household employment. And I said, well, there's, I learned it, and I, there's got to be a market for this. And lo and behold, there was. So we started Legally Nanny, helping people hire nannies. We don't find nannies for them, but if you were to hire a nanny, we'd help you to do all the paperwork to make sure you're doing everything properly. And that came bouncing along. And then we had nanny agencies saying, you understand what we do. Can you help us? And then we had people saying, I'm not hiring a nanny. I'm hiring a caregiver for my mom. Can you help us? And we said, sure. I never really thought about home care, but sure. Then home care agencies said, you actually understand what we're doing. Can you help us? There you go. So now, flash forward 16 years later, and probably 90% of my work is home care. I mean, people say we should rebrand as Legally Granny. So, <laughs> so, but it's funny, we do, we, we have, we work with nanny agencies, home care agencies, and families who directly employ people in their homes. And the people are nannies, caregivers, uh, chefs, butlers, security assistants, you name it. Awesome, Bob. So uh, you've been in the household employment industry, I guess, for 16 years. 16. I've been a lawyer for 21 years, and okay. I've, I've been in this industry for 16 years. Yes. Very good. Yeah. And I know uh, my colleagues and I have known you for uh, about a decade. And um, yeah, it's been great to have you back and great to work with you. So it, It's a lot of fun. And, and I'll say this, honestly, uh, I, I refer to myself as chronically unemployable. I would never go back to work for anybody else because there's a there's something about this work where I help people maintain the dignity of their lives in home care. Yeah, I'm not a home care agency like you guys, but I play a part in that. And that's that helps me sleep well at night. And I really love what I do. Awesome, Bob. That's great. So you last appeared on the show, as I referenced, uh, you're a past guest. So it's probably about two years ago when you were last on the show. Can you tell us what's new with you and or the home care industry in the last couple of years that you've noticed? Sure. Well, uh, the first thing is it's synonymous. The home care industry is booming and so are we. I had my best year ever last year. Uh, it's uh, Times are good. Uh, I'll tell you, as far as home care, I think the major thing is licensing here in the state of California. I know it's a nationwide audience, but I'll talk California specific just for a bit. Licensing has come into play and really come into full force. Home care agencies are being audited. Their um, their caregivers are all registered with the state background check. That's huge. Yeah. Before, it used to be the Wild West. You never knew who was walking in your door with a caregiver. Hopefully, you'd get a good home care agency, but maybe not. Now, if you go with a licensed home care agency, you know you're getting a registered home care aide. And that 
certification of quality makes a huge difference. I tell you, that's the biggest change that I've seen in the past couple of years. Okay. And you mentioned license. So who regulates the home care industry? Uh, we'll talk briefly for California for a moment. Sure. So in California, it's the California Home Care Services Bureau, HCSB. And every home care agency that employs their caregivers, provides uh, elder care services, has to be licensed by the state. And every caregiver who works for a home care agency has to be registered with the state. And that registration process is a background check. It's live scan. It is thorough. And it's not just caregivers, by the way. Everybody who works for a home care agency has to go through this process. It is intensive and it really is a great feeling of security. Now, understand, however, if you just hire your own caregiver, they don't have to be registered with the state. So I'm not saying private caregivers are bad. You may find a terrific one. People find them through relatives or churches or what have you. Right. But... Uh, those people also can be registered with the state. And I would strongly encourage you, even if you're going to hire privately, to have your caregiver go through that state process. Because here's a little interesting fact for you. So I represent scores of home care agencies here in California. Um, when licensing came into play, I had agencies lose anywhere from 5 to 10% of their caregivers. Why? Because they could not pass the state background checks. Some of them were not legal to work. Some of them had criminal records or other issues precluding them from getting jobs. So let me ask you about that. Um, Back before licensure took effect in 2016, most of the agencies I'm sure you work with claimed that they did background checks. Uh, But what happened in 2016 where the background – can you tell us how the background check with the state is different than what maybe agencies were able to do previously? Sure. So everybody has to go through the live scan background check. It's a comprehensive federal criminal database uh, as well as uh, all the other employees in the home care agency have to go through these checks as well. Before – People would say, oh, we background check them. But what does that mean? Does that mean that you just look in the one county where you are or where they are currently? Or did you go back and, and look at a criminal history over wherever they've lived, for example? Are you checking state databases and federal? What are you looking for? Here, it's a uniform system and it has stringent standards. And I think that's the benefit for licensing. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about uh, families hire or if you're hiring someone directly and that you'd encourage them to also go through the state process. And again, just to, just to emphasize, if someone does hire a caregiver privately, that caregiver is not required to be, to be registered with the state. That's right. And I want to ask you, why wouldn't, besides a minimal uh, small fee, I think $25, $35 plus a background check cost, why wouldn't a caregiver register with the state? Right. And I would tell you that that's a major red flag. Yeah. If they're not willing to register, what are they hiding? Right Now, they may say cost, and my response would be, well, the family should offer to pay for the cost. If the family wants the, the registration, they should pay for it. That's yeah. reasonable and enough. Was it $35 I, today? I, I honestly don't know what the okay. registration is for the state, but it's not that much money. But whatever it is, they, the family should pay for it because yeah. let's say it's even $100. The peace of mind alone is worth that. So yeah. if a caregiver is unwilling to go through the state process, I would tell you that there's probably a problem there. Yeah, that's great. And that's, that's good information. So there's different ways to hire a caregiver. You talked about how you work with agencies, how there's direct hire. Can you briefly share with the audience, how can a family or a healthcare organization refer to home care? How can they hire someone? What are the different ways of hiring help? Sure. So the easiest and sort of turnkey solution is to use a licensed home care agency. If they're licensed with the state, it means that they've passed all the requirements, their caregivers are registered, they're going to take care of the payroll and the taxes, and everything is good. It is easy, easy, easy. Okay. And the many home care agents, there are tons of home care agencies out there. So how do you know if they actually employ the caregivers or not? 
ask to see a copy of their license from the state. You can also verify on the state's website. Go to the California Home Care Services Bureau. HCSB will tell you, it will give you a list of home care agencies that are licensed. That's by far the easiest way to do it. And that website also allows, does it allow people to search if the caregiver is it registered? It does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Great. Okay. And then, so the next option, and these are things that sort of look like home care agencies, but they're really not. They're registries. They're also called DRAs, which are direct referral agencies. They're referred to in the California Code as employment agencies. It's all the same thing. Whatever you want to call it, registry, DRA, referral agency, employment agency, it doesn't matter. What they do is they find a caregiver for you and they place that caregiver with you. But you're the employer. And oftentimes, the problem with this model is they don't tell you, even though they're required by law to make verbal and written disclosures to you and the caregiver, that the family is the employer. They don't do it. So the I don't, And I don't blame the family. The family is not sophisticated in this area. Home care agencies look like each other. And by the way, they're often these registries are often referred by people who are well-meaning but also don't understand the difference. Right. And they say, well, if they're referred, it must be okay. The pro- and, and this is fine. It is a cheaper model, but all of a sudden you have a lot more obligations of payroll, taxes, supervision, wh- who fills in for the caregiver if the caregiver gets sick. There's some savings, but there's not a lot of savings. Really, all the registry is doing is finding the caregiver for you, but then you're paying on an ongoing basis for that. Yeah. I, I don't understand that. The third model is just a pure private hire. Now, I do understand this model. This model is the cheapest way to go. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. It is the least expensive way to go is probably the way I should say it. And if you find somebody, especially if they're willing to go through the state process, and you're able and willing to take on the payroll and tax issues, by all means, go ahead and hire privately. Um, and and I, really, to me, it's a practical issue. My mom lives in Massachusetts. I live in California. I would never hire privately. Why? Because I can't monitor that caregiver from a country away. Right. If my mom lived next door to me or nearby, would I consider hire privately? Maybe. Maybe. But still, you have to worry about who's going to fill in when the caregiver gets sick. California has mandatory paid sick leave, so the caregiver gets to take days off. So who fills in for that? Who supervises? All these sorts of things. You pay more for a licensed home care agency, but you get what you pay for. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Now, I've heard some people say, oh, well, no, I'm not employing the caregiver. They're an independent contractor. Can you touch on that? Right. That's flat out wrong. Um, as a matter of law, that caregiver is absolutely without question an employee under any circumstance, period, full stop. Okay. And can you differentiate as to why a uh, caregiver is an employee that a family may hire versus why like a plumber, uh, even if it's just a, a mom and pop, one individual plumber, why you can pay the plumber you know, a flat fee and don't have to worry about employing, whereas a caregiver, you would. Sure. So the easiest reason is because uh, under federal and state law, it, the the government has already defined caregivers as employees. So there's that. Okay. But in addition, if you look at how the caregiver does her job, who controls it, who supervises it, you don't tell the plumber how to do his job. You identify the problem like, my toilet is leaking fix it, but you don't tell them what wrenches to use, what pipe fittings to use, any of that sort of stuff. With your caregiver, you're going to be a lot more specific. You're going to tell the caregiver when to show up, what to do, what to feed the person, uh, where to take the person for visits, et cetera. The degree of control alone differentiates the relationship between an employee and an independent contractor. Great. Thanks, Bob. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk more about what a caregiver can or can't do when they're caring for one of your loved ones. All right, folks, hold on just a moment. We'll be right back. 
Pop Health Podcast is supported by 24-Hour Home Care. All episodes of Pop Health Podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and pophealthpodcast.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the break. So in a moment, Bob's going to tell us a little bit about what a caregiver can or can't do. But before we get into that, Bob, we before the break, we talked about employing a caregiver versus having them as an independent contractor. I know there's things like overtime issues. There's a whole live-in. Is that you know acceptable? Uh, and I wanted to see in your 16 years, um, are there any cases that you're able to talk about that are that will reflect on some of these issues? Sure. So. The past couple of years, there's been a significant uptake in litigation involving home care and caregivers. Uh, for example, just last year, I defended three class actions against home care agencies. I always represent the employer. I always represent the home care agency. So I defended three class actions, and I had multiple single plaintiff cases. Okay, And the danger is if you're not paying people correctly. If you decide you want to hire privately and you're not going to use an agency, that's fine, but then you have to make sure that you're compliant legally. And if you're not, the penalties can add up very quickly. Under California law, and I'm not exaggerating, if you owe $10, you potentially owe $1,000 once all the penalties are added in. So I'll give you an example. I have a case where they, uh, the family hired a caregiver and didn't pay appropriately. They paid this live-in caregiver a flat fee on a daily basis. That is problematic for a number of reasons. Caregivers have to be paid hourly. You can't pay them a flat fee. And then they have to be paid overtime after nine hours in a day and after 40 hours in a week. And if you fail to do that, the statute of limitations on a wage claim is three years. It can be extended to four years. And if you add up all the penalties and costs associated with it, I'm not exaggerating when I say, at least on a monthly basis, I see a demand letter from a plaintiff's lawyer in the six figures. And sometimes it can be mid-six figures. People are losing their houses. Plaintiff's lawyers will put liens on houses. So they'll actually, and it sounds ghoulish, and this is the plaintiff's bar, not me, they'll wait for people to die, and then they'll, they'll execute the lien on the house. It is crazy, and I see it all the time. Wow, that's pretty brutal. So you mentioned uh, live-in, um, and we'll reference, I know in other states there's different rules, but if we talk about California briefly, tell us about how you can, like if someone wants a one caregiver to be on site 24-7, how does that work? How does right. So that's, it's expensive in a word, okay? okay? Because under federal law, you can deduct sleep time, but under California law, you cannot. If you require that caregiver to be there, you have to pay that caregiver. And again, that caregiver is entitled to overtime after nine hours in the day. As a result, it's very, very expensive to do live-in because on a 24-hour shift, the first nine hours are at straight time, the next 15 hours are at overtime. That adds up. Currently, just to pay that caregiver legally, you're in the mid-300s right now at the state minimum wage and higher if you're in a jurisdiction with a local minimum wage. Yeah, so you have to pay the caregiver over $300 a day to do it right, basically. Exactly, exactly. And you can't do things like people get creative. They'll say, well, the caregiver is volunteering their time. No, that doesn't work. Like, yeah. or, and, and they'll say, well, but the caregiver is sleeping. Why do I have to pay? Because the caregiver can't sleep in her own bed. Yeah. You, if she has to remain there, you have to pay her. It's as simple as that. And what about uh, like the, the whole like rent and meal deduction? In order to do that, because like, I've, you know, being in the industry myself, I've seen some people claim, well, the reason we're you know, able to do it at a lower cost is because of a rent and like food deduction. I get this all the time. People say, well, I live in fill in the blank, Santa Monica, Laguna Beach, it's a gorgeous place. Gosh, you know, we have a view overlooking the ocean. So the caregivers uh, lived here and and I just didn't charge rent. And the rent's got to be worth at least $2,500 a month. So we're pretty square. That's just flat out illegal. 
can't do it. You can take a small credit against the value of the room and board with a voluntary written agreement from the caregiver. And by the way, it won't cover much. So sure, you can do it. In my opinion, it's penny wise and pound foolish. And if you need more than an hour or two a, a day of care, you're never going to cover it on room and board. Got it. So if, if for the, so many of our audience are healthcare professionals who either you know, work directly or indirectly in home care or might work be a social worker and refer to home care. So if I'm a social worker and I say, well, hey, I know, you know your uh, licensed home care agency might be $700 a day for around-the-clock care, but we have this great registry that's $300 a day. Right. Could and that, like, like could, anything else, yeah. if it sounds too good to be true, it is. So I'll give you another example. I had a client that used a registry, and the registry wasn't paying correctly. Well, under the Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights here in the state of California, families are also considered employers. And that's really a rip to the families, in my opinion, because their family is doing the right thing. They think they're doing the right thing. They're hiring a home care agency, right? Yeah. So they think, oh, it's all squared away. It turns out the home care agency didn't pay correctly because it's a registry. Yeah. So then what happens? The home care agency and the family get sued because they have underpaid this caregiver. They haven't paid overtime appropriately. They didn't do the live-in appropriately. And all of a sudden, this family, unsuspectingly, is jointly and severally liable for hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's yeah. crazy. Got it. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing. So let's talk briefly about what a caregiver can or cannot do. Uh, so if someone's a registered home care aide in the state of California, let's say working through a home care organization, licensed home care organization, what can a caregiver not do that maybe some people think they can do sure so and and let me start out by saying i empathize with this like people want the caregivers to do basically as much as possible and everything is possible especially if again i use the example of my mom a knock on wood she doesn't need a caregiver yeah okay but if she did Maybe she would need assistance with medication. Many people who are diabetic need assistance with insulin injections. Caregivers cannot do that. I want to be very clear. In fact, I printed out in advance of this, I printed out a fact sheet from the Home Care Services Bureau, and I'm just going to quickly hit to you some of the top 10 things caregivers can't do. They can't do insulin shots. They can't do catheter care. They can't do wound care. They can't do G-tube feedings. They can't do IV insertions, blood pressure colostomy bag care. These sorts of things can only be done by a licensed medical professional. They can't be done by a non-medical caregiver. And one more thing, because people are creative in this, they say, well, that's okay. I'll, I'll just have the caregiver sign a waiver. Waivers are ineffective. Why? Because this is a state regulation. It's not the caregiver who decides whether or not she can do this. It's the state of California. I can't go to Gavin Ward and say, Gavin, I want you to take my appendix out. And I'll just sign a waiver so it'll be okay, yeah. right? No because malpractice you're, you're, suit. Duck you're not a doctor. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and who determines whether you're a doctor? Not you. It's the state. Yeah. So the state doesn't authorize waivers for these things. So for any sort of medical care, you need to have a nurse that's involved. Use a home licensed home health agency or get a nurse or something along those lines. But caregivers cannot be involved with this. And by the way, you don't want them to. They don't have the appropriate training for this. Yeah, well said. And nor are they insured, right? Nor are they insured for this. Exactly yeah. So, right. Yeah. So if something goes wrong, the agency, their insurance wouldn't, well, I guess malpractice maybe. but Well, no, but see, that's the problem. If this, it, say this caregiver is working for an agency. Okay. okay? Licensed. Say, right, a licensed home care agency okay. and doing medical things. That uh, almost assuredly the, the home care agency's insurance isn't going to cover that because it's beyond the scope. It's beyond of ah. what they're, they're legally allowed to do. 
Makes sense. So I have malpractice insurance, which, knock on wood, again, I've never had to use, right? right? But that only covers me for legal work. If I decide I want to take out your appendix, it's not going <laughs> to cover me, right? So it's the same thing. Yeah. If you go, if a home care agency goes beyond the scope of what it's legally allowed to do, their insurance isn't going to cover it. Got it. Thanks, Bob. So let's talk a little bit about the cost of in-home care uh, over the years. So for listeners who may have been familiar with home care over the last few years, uh, for the first time in probably, I'd say, in my, I've been in the industry for, wow, 18, almost 18 years, um, the rates for home care were relatively flat. You bet. From when I started in 2003, probably up to like 2014, there wasn't like literally in the, the, the company companies I work for, the rate stayed the same for like 11 years. Then in 2015, went up a dollar. 2016, another dollar. 17, another dollar. Why Why in the last few years have home care rates pretty much gone up on an annual basis Right, most industries? Right. Well, I, I'll go you one better. Back in the good old days, before there was overtime, and when you could deduct sleep time, the minimum wage was 8 bucks an hour. And if you wanted somebody to, to be there for all 24 hours, you could pay them for 16 hours under certain circumstances. Eight times 16 is $108. That was what the cost of a live-in was, $108. And that was just a few years ago. Right, and that was just a few years ago. That was, yeah. that was 2013, for example. Yeah. It was $108. It is now more than triple yeah. Okay, in five years. Right. And and it's funny because I speak nationwide, I travel nationwide, I defend uh, Department of Labor audits nationwide. And when I talk to people outside of California, and I go through all these federal rules and regs, and they moan and they say, and and I say, listen, at least you're not in California, and I get a big laugh. And when I'm in California and I go through all these California rules and regs, I say, well, at least you're not in San Francisco, and I get a big laugh there. Yeah. And God help the people in San Francisco. I get a lot of clients there, but that is a whole different world. But to answer your question, here's what's happening. You have um, minimum wage continually going up, and it's indexed for inflation, so it's going to keep going up. You have over 20 different cities and counties in the state of California that have higher minimum wages. And the person only has to work in that jurisdiction for two hours, and they qualify for that higher minimum wage for all the time they work there. You have overtime after nine hours in a day and after 40 hours in a week. You have the loss of the sleep time deduction. So all of these things combined, plus, frankly, you just, oh, licensing has imposed costs. There's also paid sick leave. Yeah. Paid sick leave is, is I, I understand it, I respect it, but still, that that's an additional cost because you have to pay for that sick leave and also pay another caregiver to still perform the same work. Yeah. So you have all these government mandates that have more than tripled the cost of home care. And by the way, this is a vulnerable population. These are people who can't just go out and make more money. They're seniors. They're disabled. They live on fixed incomes. And all of a sudden, their costs get jacked up to, you know, 3x what they were. It used to be that people would look at facilities and say, there's no way I could afford that. And now all of a sudden, they're starting to consider facilities more because facilities all of a sudden become competitive cost-wise. Yeah. No, it makes sense. So I know, and, and one more thing. Yeah. By the way, the numbers that we're talking about are just what you need to pay the caregiver, yes. right? Your home care agency, understandably, has other costs. You have a markup on that. And by the way, it used to be back in the good old days, you take whatever pay the whatever you paid the caregiver and, and double it, and yeah. that's what the home care agency would charge. Now there's no way you could do that because you'd be close to seven hundred dollars, probably north of that, on a, on a for twenty four hour care. But you're still I don't know what you guys charge, but most home care agencies are five six hundred dollars a day, easy, yeah. right? And 
sometimes higher based on the local minimum wage for that in-home care for a 24-hour care. It's crazy. Yeah, so I know we're, you're talking a lot about California. Some of the listeners are also in Arizona and Texas where those laws, uh, I think, do allow a little bit more freedom. Have you seen any state – again, I know you mostly practice in California but also do some federal work too – have you seen any state that you think gets it? Do you think the states that do allow, like for a daily rate, like that should work? Well, so a daily rate's never going to be legal. Okay. Okay, because a daily rate doesn't work because the, the caregiver has to be paid on an hourly basis. The caregiver is always not exempt. Okay. okay. But you can say, look, o- the only overtime that applies nationwide is after 40 hours in a week. Okay. That's it. But you, most states allow for the sleep time deduction, okay. and most states don't have daily overtime. Got so it. you can work this where if a caregiver works 16 hours a day, maybe you do, I'm sorry, 24 hours a day, but you're only paying for 16 because you deduct the sleep time. Yeah. So you could work one caregiver for three days, one caregiver for four days. There'll be a modest amount of overtime after 40, but not that much. Yep. And then you flip it so the next week it's vice versa. So over a two-week period, each caregiver works seven days and has every other weekend off. And those costs are manageable so it sounds like because of your work you know you've seen models like this that you're sure oh it happens all the time and yeah. in arizona i actually do a decent amount of work in arizona i speak at their home care conference okay. um and arizona gets it although arizona is becoming a little bit like california they instituted paid sick leave their minimum wages are going up you know yeah. it's, it's little pockets uh generally speaking the midwest the south texas those states are great they understand it uh, you know, I've got, uh, for example, I was down in Alabama. I've got clients in Louisiana. Same thing. Iowa, they get it. And the cost is still reasonable. Again, the cost of living overall is reasonable there, too. Got it. Great. Thanks for the explanation, Bob. So as we wrap up, uh, you mentioned earlier, future you know, home care industry is booming, it's going well as a whole. Um, things happen this year in 2019, like Medicare Advantage funding starting to come through and trickle in a little bit, typically for transitional care, not necessarily ongoing. But I wanted to get your take on the future of home care and where you see more government support or insurance support and your, your feelings there. Right. I, I think people are understanding that home care has striking similarities to child care. And there's a greater acceptance that child care should be subsidized. Home care is the same way. I am in a sandwich generation, okay? I'm 49 years old. I have kids who are teenagers, and I have a parent who's older. Why is it that subsidizing my child care is viewed as reasonable, but subsidizing my elder care is not? That that seems to me to need to change. Yeah, okay? and aren't, aren't there some initiatives? I see uh, I follow you on LinkedIn, and there seem to be a little some tax credit initiatives or deductions. Right. Like- Currently, it's only if you can uh, declare the person as a dependent, which most people can't do for an adult but can do for their child. Got but it. there is some talk about broadening that to cover or at least offset some of the costs of care for elderly as well. Um, Medicare Advantage is interesting. The problem with Medicare is the rates are really low. You can only make money by doing it in volume. Yeah. right? And also, be careful what you wish for because jumping through Medicare hoops is an immense challenge. Yeah. So maybe you don't want that. What I would say is the private sector is leading the way here. You're seeing more companies be enlightened about this and providing some sort of dependent care subsidy on their own, and you can use that for elder care as well. And I think the private sector is the model here that the government should be looking toward. Great, Bob. So as we wrap up, uh, thank you again for being our guest. We're recording today in Irvine, California, not too far from where where Bob's uh, uh, residential home is. So appreciate you coming out. Um, how can the community reach out to you? How can they connect with you? Do you ever do speaking engagements? 
Sure. You actually do because you mentioned it earlier. So please sure. talk about that. So our, our firm's Legally Nanny. You can find us at LegallyNanny.com. We're all over Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, I don't write newsletters. I don't have time to write them, and most people don't have time to read them. But if you want to find out what's going on in, in the household employment industry, whether you have a nanny or a caregiver or whoever, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You'll get all of our updates. I speak probably you know at least a dozen times a year at various conferences, home care or nanny agency conferences, and other conferences too, bar associations you name it. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Talking is not a problem for me. <laughs> so please, and if you want to find out where we're speaking next, again, go to our Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter pages and you can find out what's going on. I, I want to end with this. There's a dignity about helping somebody stay in their home and remain independent. And your listeners, in one way or another, contribute to that. That's a good thing. And we should all fight the good fight to help these seniors and these disabled individuals maintain their independence and dignity. And, and I want to do that. Awesome, Bob. Well, again, folks, Bob King has been our guest. You can reach him and learn more about his organization at LegallyNanny.com. And uh, yeah, folks, if you do enjoy today's show or want to listen to other episodes, feel free to check us out on PopHealthPodcast.com, Stitcher, iTunes, or Spotify. And we love reviews as well. Those reviews help us stay visible to the general public and get great guests like Bob and other healthcare leaders. Thanks, folks. Take care. Thank you.